Hello and welcome to the Swing Smarter Hitting Training Podcast. This is your host, Joey Myers from HittingPerformanceLab.com. And I have the honor today, I met through Brian Eisenberg uh, and his son, for those of you who have listened to Playball Kid, uh, Sammy. And uh, I was talking to Brian the other day and he brought up Jason Colloran's name. So I want to leave a mystery because we're going to go into that, but welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> so Jason, you, you all are going to be, you're going to love what we have to talk about today, what Jason has to talk about today. And uh, first, give a brief background about you, Jason. I played, played baseball at least 20 years. Um, now I've been on the, the training side of it. And um, I wouldn't say the medical side, but I'll consult for medical professionals. Um, so, you know, having been through the injuries, um, seeing the rehabilitation process, and now having to help out on the medical side with um, kind of bridging the gap with, um, you know, the technology and uh, kind of the training. So I opened up Elite Edge Training Center, uh, started a sports performance center and kind of muscle lab in 2011. And then two years ago, uh, we launched the kinetic arm. So having the skill set with all the manual muscle testing and uh, the neuromuscular system and learning about external forces or, you know, resistance mechanics, I thought, well, uh, I've seen how the how the surgical outcomes are, how the training programs are. So just kind of you know followed the science and gathered data, and was able to design an external muscular system that we can now offload stress from the throwing arm and keep the elbow and shoulder healthy. Love that. And and so we we had a talk before this, um, just just getting to know each other. We haven't we hadn't been connected until Brian said it, and I reached out. And uh, a lot of people are familiar with strength conditioning out there. A lot of people have performance gyms and things like that. But there's one thing that really, really now one of probably many things that differentiates you from others, and it's MAT. Explain MAT a little bit. So with muscle activation techniques, um, it's a very precise form of neuromuscular testing. Um, so people are more concerned with how bright the bulb is, and they don't know if the switch works, which is kind of like they're more concerned with, let's say, velocity or maxing out on a lift. But you don't know if everything's functioning as well as it can. So we... Uh, look at, you know, tightness is secondary to weakness. So we got to remember that muscles tighten up for a reason. Uh, so we actually identify the cause of the problem versus just treating the symptom, which in baseball, we've got all these arm care programs. Um, you know, we've got all these experts, but we've got to step back and think, maybe we need to go back further down the chain and, and um, understand that with the best arm care problem in the world, if there's dysfunction at the foot, the hip, the trunk, it doesn't matter how strong your arm is, you're still going to have problems. Yeah, we just one of my hitters. He's a growing kid, his brother. So he's a what is he a sophomore now in high school. He's he's taller than me now. And he's got a, an older brother who's playing. He's a redshirt freshman playing at Fresno State catcher. Um, it's really good. Great family. And he just I, I don't know exactly what the diagnosis was, but I saw the x ray and it had the there was a gap right here at the elbow. So he had broken fractured, uh, you know, something. Wow. And part of it was part of his growing pains, part of it, you know, he's a catcher. So he's throwing second most on the field. And then another part, I guess I just got another piece of the information. He just had surgery last Friday to fix it. And I guess it's a six week recovery. And then he's going to have another six weeks of PT or whatever. So it's three months total. And his brother went through the same thing apparently. Um, but I guess he slid back into the bag at one point, uh -oh. straightened out. And I think that was the, he was having issues already. And I think that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but talk a little bit about some of the, the things you're seeing out there, the, the pitchers that are coming to you or just the athletes that are coming to you. I would just say pitchers because that's what we're talking about today and what kind of injuries that you're seeing. Um, so a lot of things that are kind of 
I don't want to say going wrong in the industry, but the, the big obsession with uh, mobility. Hmm. So a lot of these hip stretches, we're seeing, you know, some torn hip labrums. Hmm. Um, so people have to remember that you know, range of motion doesn't really matter. They should think more, what is the active range of control? So that's kind of where the, the muscle testing comes into play. So uh, just because we force a limb all the way back, it'd be kind of foolish to expect it to all of a sudden work there when we can't actively get there on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been a big issue is all these mobility programs and stretching actually shuts your muscles down. So it's going to decrease your force output. And there's a lot of, a lot of good data out there. Um, and I can send some studies too. Uh, but you know, these are things that they just kind of get regurgitated in baseball. Um, and then with a lot of the, the heavy lifting as well, uh, a barbell's really not a good training tool. I mean, we're, we're constantly changing directions and people say, Oh, you want a stable core stable means still that's the last thing you would want. You'd actually want an explosive or dynamic core. So, um, a lot of these things, um, you know, they're causing problems for the arms, especially like a a front squat, you know, like I don't even have that mobility and to get it, you'd have to cut me open, take a chisel, a belt sander and get rid of these things called bones that make the joints. Um, but that's something that's not understood in the strength and conditioning world. Um, especially when you get into the mobility side is that structure dictates function and people have different shaped uh, bones or different lengths and different shaped joints. So um, a lot of the, the popular programs that are out there, I get kids in here that are injured from those. So whether it's the popular weighted ball program or, you know, popular 90 mile per hour or whatever, um, it's not sustainable. So when these kids get these big uh, jumps in velocity from the weighted ball training or all these running guns, it's great until, you know, one to two weeks later, they blow out their arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I, I love how you didn't mention names and we don't, we don't have to mention names on here and people can figure it out on their own. They've, they've done the research, they've connected the dots, they've been out there. Um, and, um, and we can go into those in a little bit into a little bit more depth on a few of those programs, but one of the things, and you understand like all the fascist stuff and I mean, you understand all that. And that's what I love about MAT. I wanted to, and I told you this, I wanted to do that whole certification, go through that when I was doing my research through anatomy trains, Thomas Myers, and I mentioned a couple other names, Dr. Eric Dalton, dynamic body and all these guys. And they, and I think Dr. Eric Dalton specifically was MAT. And I think he might've had his own program and, and whatnot. Um, I just got busy doing other things. And I mean, there's so much research when it comes to marketing and then there's human movement and then there's hitting. And then there's, you know, there's so many things that we could be obsessed about. And I just fell off the wayside, but you mentioned something about fascia and how fascia you, I think you mentioned something about 2000 pounds per square inch to be able to deform it or to be able to get it to change shape. And it's almost near impossible to do that. Can you talk, talk on that a little bit? Like tendons, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's another thing um, with baseball. If you come across somebody that's talking about fascia a lot, just go the other way. Um, they, they'd be a lot better served in serving their athletes or clients learning about resistance mechanics um so fascia the collagen fibers that make up fascia have a 2000 pound tensile strength so i've got one research paper with a a 3d mathematical model showing you would need well over 2000 pounds of force that's compression shearing to get even a one percent change in length and a one percent change in length for you know uh ligaments that's called a grade one strain or sprain so that's an injury um, so we've got to think, and then there's another paper, uh, they pulled with hundreds of pounds of force on, uh, an IT band for hours and still couldn't even get a 1% change in length. Mm-hmm. So all the stretching and smashing that you're doing, you're really just beating the crap out of your muscle tissue. So you got to think if I punch you in the shoulder, are you going to perform better or worse? Mm-hmm. Right. Probably not better. Right. So 
Uh, yeah, there's there's not a human being on earth that's going to be able to exert 2000 pounds of force. Um, and they have to look at it kind of almost like uh, there's some good pictures. It's like a cheeseburger. You know, you've got these different layers. You've got the skin, which gives some uh, or the hair on the skin, which gives some sensory input. Then you got the skin. Then you got the different layers. So you get down, you know, muscle bone. So you're really just beating the crap out of everything kind of senselessly. Um, and you could be shutting down your muscles and what we call desensitizing the muscle spindles. So they're not going to tr- contract how they should. And that's something we test here with the digital dynamometer. So you can actually see the force output go down from trying to stretch it out or smash it. And then, you know, people say you have a knot in your muscle. It doesn't mean you need to beat on it. That could be a protective mechanism. You know, if you have a fan shaped muscle and the bottom part isn't contracting efficiently. So the top part kind of tightens up to compensate um, the whole industry needs to think back, especially, you know, physical therapists and think, okay, why is this happening instead of just addressing the symptom? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's interesting. You, you talk about a lot of these programs, baseball is baseball, it just kind of does its own thing. It's been doing its own thing for decades. And uh, a lot of it is stretching. They're stretching in the beginning. I mean, in the program I'm at, I'm, I'm not a head coach, so I'm not going to tell the head coach, the skipper what to do. Uh, I'm just doing the hitting thing and I'm doing it part time. Um, but they're stretching like the infielders and thing. They, they do, they're doing the, the Brexit or the, not the Brexit, the, um, uh, what is it? The Bretzel, you know, the Bretzel, the Brett, uh, what's his face? Um, pretzel type of thing. He's an FMS type guy, you know, the Bretzel. So they're doing stuff like that right before practice. And you got big guys, small guys, skinny guys, you know, stronger guys, a lot of muscle. And, and I, and I see that and I understand, again, I'm not as in depth as you when it comes to the human body, biomechanics, MAT stuff, but I know that the stretching early on is not good. Um, is stretching even at the end? I mean, is it even relevant to, for static stretching? So not to completely damn stretching. There is, there is a place for it. It's just not as often as we think. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the activity, yeah, it's probably fine. You know, if it, especially if it, uh, you know, gives you some short-term relief, then it's, it's not a bad thing. Um, depending on which stretch you're doing, if you're, you know, cranking across here or going this way, you know, causing impingement to muscles that are already fatigued, it's not going to be a good thing. Um, so, you know, we always say the dosage determines the poison. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're holding or forcing a static stretch for a long period of time, don't expect to perform well after that. But, um, you know, even as a, a natural reaction, when something starts to cramp up, you stretch it, right? Mm-hmm. Because your brain knows if I stretch that and take it, you know, to end range, I can shut it down and stop that involuntary contraction from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I just want some people to understand that out there on the stretching. The stretching can be a good thing, but it's there's certain time there's certain times for it, right? Um, let's go into the weighted ball stuff. So. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't, I don't really like my players doing weighted balls. I've had some of my hitters do them big, strong guys, uh, sophomores, uh, juniors in high school. And these guys can lift 400 pounds in a deadlift and, or more, and they start weighted ball training and they uh, came close. I mean, very lucky to, to bl- blowing out their elbow or their shoulder or whatever. They had to sit on the shelf. It was, it was right before it was kind of preseason just before the season. He had enough time to recover from it, but it was two, three weeks. He had to sit out. Could really throw anything because of the weighted ball stuff so go into that a little bit i know some i know the argument is well they throw a football or they throw a, a water polo ball or they throw you know that kind of thing so go into that a little bit on the weighted ball thing and with with those arguments the mechanics are different um with the weighted ball it's it's a tool it's not you know that uh having one you know in your baseball bag is going to injure your arm but that's how you're using it so um as your forearm flexors get tired that's the only thing crossing over the medial elbow 
to protect, you know, the connective tissue there. So the UCL. So there's um, a good study that uh, was done with MODIS, I think Brittany Dowling and Ben Hansen on fatigue unit models. So they saw that the more tired your forearm flexors got, the higher your elbow stress goes up as far as the newton meters of force. So if we've got more of a force demand, you know, on uh, our forearm flexors and they're fatiguing, and then we've got more mass that's going back. So think about if you're sitting in a traffic light and you, you know, stomp on the gas, you know, inertia and objects resistance to change. So your head kind of goes back. But if you had a rolling start, it's not as bad. But it's just a, a comparison or another analogy is, you know, if I place a five pound weight on your foot or drop one. Mm-hmm. So force equals mass times acceleration. So, um, you know, if if a lot of these guys can't keep their arm healthy without a weighted ball, adding a weighted ball to the equation is probably one of the worst things you could do. And I'm not saying there's not a safe way to do it. For me personally, I think the only thing that should be done with a weighted ball would be like mm-hmm. this motion, but straight down to the ground. Because the elbow is a hinge joint. So we have flexion and extension. So when we go back this way and the form and the ball are going back and the humerus torques forward, that's when we get that distraction force or that dynamic valgus. So that's the only thing I would do with one is take it and fire it straight down into the ground because anatomically we're not violating, you know, the structure or function. So yeah, it is going to be, you know, stress on the form flexors, but that could be a good stress that we could, you know, kind of transfer over to velocity. So um, that's what I always recommend, you know, for people that, are forced to uh, use the weighted balls. And we actually have a major league spring training pitching coordinator that got them for that reason is because we can offload a significant amount of stress using the kinetic arm mm-hmm. if they have to go through the weighted ball program. So you can still get whatever the, the positive benefits may be. But um, as far as trying to ramp up the workload with them, uh, there, there has to be a time period for that, um, you know, physiological adaptation or basically your body responding to handling that heavier load. Like if you just start lifting heavier weights all the time and your body's not ready for it, something's probably going to tear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a lot of problems with it, but again, it's a tool, um, you know, if used correctly in only a few ways, you could get some benefit from it, but uh, I think it's just kind of risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately a lot of the coaches and even, you know, the people that think they're experts and uh, instructors still don't have the education or understand, you know, kind of the, the micro progressions needed so that you don't have a blowout. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think health and safety have to be forefront and priority. I mean, we're doing pitch count, we're pitch count craziness at our little league games, which is fine. Like that, that's a good thing. Right. But it doesn't, that doesn't fix the mechanics if they're wrong or anything like that. It just says you can only pitch 40, 40 pitches or else you can't pitch the next game or whatnot. Um, before we get, I want to really dig into the kinetic arm, but right before we get there, one of the other things out there, are the force plates, so one, I think another program really puts pressure on the, on the force plate stuff. So talk a little bit about, about that. I mean, you don't have to talk a ton about it, but just, just a little bit about what people have to be a little bit leery about when it comes to the, the, um, metrics that we're getting out of that and what that means. So with the force plates, I've been at a couple, mm-hmm. couple of schools where they've spent, I mean, 50, $75,000, um, you know, on these force plates and, uh, you know, with motion capture, I call it the motion capture myth, um, you know, it's, it's a superficial assumption of gross motor function, which means you've got all this stuff flying through space and you're really just trying to guess at what you think is not working. So with a force plate, um, the, when the foot hits the ground, so just walking as an example, it goes from a bag of bones to a rigid lever. So you absorb force and then you push off. So with a force plate, what it's not telling you that you need to know, and I've had, you know, several professional and college pitchers in here, where they had an issue with foot function. 
And then they had a lot of problems with their elbow and their shoulder because they're not getting that ground reaction force. So with a force plate, it's not telling you when kind of that, that medial arch that would absorb and then produce force. So like pronation, supination, it's just kind of telling you when everything is pushing against the force plate versus uh, how efficiently it's able to go from a bag of bones to a rigid lever and push off. Mm. So it's almost like um, I had a guy that was at Vanderbilt, you know, throwing hundred miles an hour. Now he's with, um, you know, the, I think low a Braves affiliate and he's struggling to hit low nineties. Well, he couldn't hold the positional contraction with any of the foot function tests. So he's almost standing in a sand pit trying to push off as hard as he can and throw. And wouldn't you know it, he's had a, a torn lat. He's had all hmm. kinds of shoulder issues. Hmm. So it's, you know, not to say it's like, um, you know, throwing on ice would be another good example where we completely take away friction and then you're really having to compensate. But if you were to stand in sand and try to throw as hard as you could, you know, the back foot is going to be kind of mushy. So mm-hmm. the arm's going to have to work harder. Um, and not to say that it's not great to have all this information, but um, I always ask people, you know, it's great to have that data. Now, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, we pass it off. And I said, stop right there. <laughs> if you don't understand it. Why are you collecting it? Because that P that the PT that you're passing it off to, they don't have an understanding for that. They don't have the skill set to test, you know, all those positions and make sure things are functioning efficiently. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's interesting when all that stuff gets thrown in the mix. And um, I think that's a big problem with baseball is nobody wants to put in the time to learn how to actually identify and solve these problems when they could just pick up their phone and learn how to use an app and give you these pretty pictures and images and, you know, this data that, you know, really doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but it makes them look like they know what they're doing and it builds value in what they're selling. So that's why it's just going to keep kind of continuing. I agree totally. And on the baseball side, it's the launch angle game. It's the the launch angles. It's the attack angles. It's the ball exit yeah. speeds, you know, all those numbers and hit tracks is probably the most famous. It's a, we call it a really, really expensive calculator. It's, uh, it's yeah. fun. It's like a video game, right? It's 15 to 25 K, maybe even more now with inflation, 30 K. Um, but again, what are you going to do with those numbers? Like what, when you see these numbers, you see the averages, you see all that kind of stuff. How do we increase ball exit speed? How do we, how does it decrease? How, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we deal with the same type of thing. So let's get into the kinetic arm, Jason. Um, so the kinetic arm, I think the the two things after our conversation that I picked up, and you can go into a little bit more depth on them, is uh, two things that the kinetic arm does. Number one is it reduces stress on the elbow, shoulder, you know, reduces stress. So it uh, lowers risk for injury, not saying that it's you're not going to get injured, but lowers risk for injury. And the other thing is, is it guides the arms into the right positions. Is that about right? Or is there something you can add to that? Yeah, so it it does a lot of, a lot of different things. So it's, we actually have a muscle on our lower body called the sartorius that crosses two joints. So if you were to lift your knee up and bring your foot to the outside, so rotate your femur internally and then bring it the other way, that muscle would shorten. So that's kind of the premise on what I, what I made. It's like an external muscular system. So it crosses two joints. So when the arm goes back, there's a compressive element going this way. And then it also kind of cuts this lever in half. So we're able to offload a lot of stress from the elbow, and then it works like an external rotator cuff. So the further back your arm goes, especially into external rotation, it's going to give some assistance in bringing it, you know, back into a stronger position. So some people will say, well, you know, won't you build a tolerance to it? No, because if you look at muscle strength on a bell curve, mid-range, it's the strongest, and then end-range, it drops off. Um, so we're just assisting 
you know, the muscular system in its weakest position. And as that's exploding forward, all the tension goes to the passive connective tissue. Uh, so we're just keeping it, you know, safe and stable until it gets to a stronger range. And it's, it's definitely not going to throw the ball for you. So there's not going to be any atrophy because you still have to produce a great amount of force. Um, so it also prevents the arm from lagging behind, which would cause a lot of stress on that superior anterior labrum, which is what a slap tear is. So we've had a lot of guys rehab using it. Um, we've had a lot of guys throw that had a slap tear and they were able to keep playing. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of mechanical benefits to it. Um, yeah. And you were, you're even saying rehabbing, uh, actual Tommy John, you have, you have pictures that are rehabbing from Tommy John and using it, right? Yeah. We've got a lot of guys. Um, Lance Dobbins is out in Texas. He's been gathering some great data, um, using the motor sensor and driveline pulse. And he's seeing stress reductions of 20 to 30% consistently. Um, same thing with Javi De Jesus at, at uh, Ivy Tech using uh, Pitch AI. Same thing, we're seeing around 20 to 30% consistent stress reduction. Um, and then in a lot of physical therapy clinics, it's being used on a daily basis because on their return to throw programs, there's a lot of flaws, uh, especially in like the ASMI return to throw, or if they do like, you know, throw at this percent or this distance. Um, there's a lot of variables that aren't being accounted for. So with this, we can progress them back to the full weight of, you know, the arm and the ball without just throwing them in there because it's kind of setting them up for failure. So we can better condition the whole body. So the better condition that is, it's going to take more stress off the arm. Right. And what I love about what you've done with all your data and your research is that you've taken three, basically done a science, scientific experiment, uh, use a scientific method where you have a control, right? You have them throwing without it before they've even used it right? So you got your control, then you then you uh, take all your metrics and data when they're th using it, when they have the kinetic mm -hmm. arm on. And then you have maybe six months or a year later, or whatever, I don't know what um, three months after or whatever, but you have them throwing with it after like not having it on. So you have three different data points. So talk a little bit about what your what your data is coming up with on that. So we use the modus sensor and um, on a couple of the athletes we did uh, three different groups. So we had the baseline throws with just the motor sensor, and then we had them put the sleeve on and it was all hundred percent max effort. I said, I want you to put as much stress on your arm as you can. Um, and then I thought, well, let's see what happens when we take it off and they throw. So a lot of times what we see is the velocity will go up a couple miles per hour, but the elbow stress readings are still lower than their baseline throws. So we've got a lot of professional pitchers that like it for that reason. And some college guys too, they'll, wear it you know while they're warming up or while they're in the bullpen before they come in um so that's we've got some incredible data you know showing again up to 30 percent stress reduction consistently and we posted um i think maybe nine or ten of those videos on our youtube channel so I'll you can link, actually I'll link to that yeah i'll link to that uh, yeah and you can watch it pitch by pitch mm -hmm. um so that's been great and then uh the the long-term kind of effect video that we did that was I think that was about a year and a half of that athlete using it mm -hmm. so it was interesting to go back and see um you know how their their current stress readings compared to a year and a half when they first came in and got their baseline readings done so that athlete actually went from kind of mid 80s to mid 90s um and then went to a weighted ball program and they you know didn't want him using the sleeve they just wanted him doing weighted balls blew his arm out had tommy john Gets to his college, the first thing the, uh, you know, pitching coordinator does is hand him a two-pound ball and tell him that that's good for him. So that's a whole nother, whole nother uh, interesting conversation. Um, but as far as testing, 
I thought it would be interesting to make um, a theoretical model. So I made a video with a, I call it a multi-axial theoretical model, which means we've got, you know, this way and then also this way. So I put it on the mannequin and I'll drop the arm. You can see it's, you know, it falls down. So there's no tension holding it up. And then I can pull tangential to the axis of where it's attached. And we can actually see how many foot pounds of force it can offload per degree. Mm. So I've, I've never seen that done with anything in orthopedics, especially, you know, in the sports world. Um, so I think just having those data points, it really helps out to illustrate kind of the benefits, especially to the medical professionals, because mm -hmm. um, we got a lot of support from them. So the better their surgical outcomes are and the better their, their rehab protocols are, the better it makes them look. So that's why they've really been getting involved lately. Yeah, I love that. And I know, you know, a lot of my followers are hitting people, but you know, we're talking throwing, but that's, that seems to be the, everybody's got to throw in the game of baseball or softball. Everybody's got to throw. And that's, that's always the thing is we got to safety and being safe and healthy needs to be like number one priority. And we do the same with our hitters. We, we make sure that they're not arching their back when they're turning. We make sure that their head's not going like this or going like this during their swing. Right. We want to make sure it's safe. So their exit speeds are clean and, and they're not going to be making all those compensations. Um, now I know right now you're focusing or you're working on trying to put a, a youth model, get a youth model. So right now there's no youth model, at least available to, to purchase. You have just the more of the, uh, what junior high, high school on up. Is that about right where it's at? And just kind of talk yeah, about the, that and talk about when that youth model, maybe people can expect that. Cause I think that's going to be huge. We talked about that. That's the, that's your bigger group of people. Yeah. It's, it's going to be exciting to see it on the kids. Um, the biggest reason is because there's going to be issues of growing pains. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be little league elbow and little league shoulder, because if you lose ground reaction force or you have Seaver's disease or Osgood slaughters, the arm has to work harder. So this is a way we can get them through that period and they don't have to quit where they normally would have. Um, so right now the small size fits down to around five, five, 120 pounds. Um, the youth version uh, we're, I'm waiting on the final prototypes for that now. So hopefully we should be, you know, getting that into production fairly soon. And that's going to be a, a slim fit full sleeve. Um, we've got a couple different designs, but uh, we're, we're, we've got some pretty good data on it. So I'm pretty confident that um, we're ready, you know, after this next round of sampling. So hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll have that into production. And that will also be the adult model. That'll be easier to wear in games too, because we have a lot of college and high school athletes that wear it in games right now. And just wear a sleeve over it but this next one is going to be such a slim fit that um they can just put it on and go out there it's a solid color and it'll be you know very easy to wear for the full game cool so I, that was a couple of the questions that some of the guys had at the high school was hey can i can i wear this in a game so they can they just they just have to have a sleeve over it mm -hmm. yeah pitchers have had a sleeve over it position players have left it mm -hmm. exposed um mm -hmm. we even had a catcher that was wearing it over his jersey under his catcher's gear mm -hmm. um I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, you know, just, you never know what the umpires are going to assume that it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's been questioned one, maybe two times. And they just said, it's an elbow brace. My PT told me I have to wear it. Oh, and then, man. you know, once, yeah, once the umpires understand that there's, there's kind of a medical necessity, mm -hmm. um, you know, then they don't really question it. So. Oh, I love that, man. Now, when you get this youth model, that would, that would be huge. Cause you can get it in. I mean, you get it in the challenge to these little league, programs whether it's cal ripkin or like we're in a, a league called river park little league and I, I couldn't imagine that would be great like everybody's pitching is wearing them and i think that would really help and, and the pitch count thing again it's just kind of a i think it's more of a band-aid it's it is what it is but if they're wearing the sleeve too 
and you're, you're taking pressure off the elbow and, and you're teaching good movements, good movements with the kids. Cause they're horrible right now. We're talking nine years old and, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old. <laughs> so there's, there's shot putting going on and, and all kinds of stuff. So, man, I I'm excited for, for that youth model to come out. So, you, you know, definitely let me know. And then I'll let, I'll let my group know, but um, before, you know, be respectful of your time, where can people find you, Jason? So website, social media, YouTube, all that good stuff. So on all the, all the social media platforms, um, it's at the kinetic arm, uh, the website's the kinetic arm.com. Uh, YouTube is the kinetic arm. We've got a lot of good information on there. You can look at the testing we did, the data we gathered. Um, it's also a good explanation of shoulder structure and function. So definitely check that out. So you have a good understanding of, um, you know, when somebody tells you, you shouldn't work upper traps. No, that's incorrect. It's a great scapular upward rotator. So just give us a good breakdown of structure and function and how the, you know, what role the muscular system plays. Um, and if there's any questions, feel free to shoot them out. I'd, I'd love to make more content and, you know, help out with the educational side. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, and I watched a couple of the videos on your website. You can just go to it's the, just make sure it's the kinetic arm.com. Um, so you get the real, you get the real deal, but the videos are shot very well. The, the data is presented very easily. It's not, you know, if you don't feel like you're not a big data guy, uh, you can understand it for sure. I mean, if I can understand it, um, I'm not an, I'm not a dummy per se when it comes to data, but yeah, I mean, it has to be dumbed down a little bit, especially when it comes to something like this. So definitely go check those out and I'll link to all those in the, in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. So, Hey, I want to thank you, Jason, for coming on today. And, uh, hopefully I mean, we've got so much other content that we can talk about, not, not just a kinetic arm, but we can talk hitting and all kinds of other things. So I'm sure we'll have a part two, three, four in the future, but I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today, um, to, to jump on the swing smarter hitting training podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Jason.